January 23rd, 
And uh, we were sent, not, not, not conventional KP, but we were sent to the officers' mess, which is elegant KP. Understand that? Uh, very elegant. And uh, we were sent out to the officers' mess. And there was about 25 of us on KP. This was a consolidated officers' mess. And something like 5,000 officers would come into this mess and have their elegant meals. You see, elegant, I'm saying, of course, compared to, to uh, you know, we would, our meals consisted largely of, uh, of cream chip beef on toast and uh, liquid jello. And, uh, you know, that gets a little monotonous after a while. Once in a while, they'd give us a radish. Occasionally, they'd give us some Harvard beets. The Army had a thing on Harvard, Harvard beets. And I've uh, never since liked beets or Harvard ever since that time. You know, you just get a little tired. So, well, yeah, they also had another thing, uh, that salad that is made out of shredded carrots. You know that kind of salad with the shredded, and it's got mayonnaise in it with raisins in it? Well... That, uh, that, uh, I, I mean, there was a time I probably would have liked that when I was maybe three or four years old. But, uh, don't come to me with, uh, shredded uh, carrot salad anymore. Even, you, you can, you can try to win my affection by coming out to me with strawberry jello. That won't do it either. I'm a hard man to, you know, to, to, to really, uh, pinpoint when it comes to, because, you know, we all have our traumatic things that go back in our lives that uh, are hard to discuss. Hard to talk about. So on this particular day, there were 25 of us sent down to the officers' mess, and uh, I had never really seen the interior of the officers' mess. Well, the first thing that hit me was they had tablecloths. This was, uh, you know, this had a certain air of uh, decadent elegance, which uh, we never had any tablecloths. They also had uh, they had right there on the table they had little vases with uh, with uh, plastic flowers in them. We didn't have anything like that, nothing, you know, that kind of little nice touches. And so we were all put back into the kitchen. We filed back. We were working in the kitchen there. And there was no officers around. They just the CO in charge of the officers' mess. That's about it. Well, I was with a guy who was really, I guess, basically corrupt. I, 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 I don't like to say that, but he was. He was basically corrupt. I didn't know him. He was from another company. Because this, this detail was pulled from about 15 companies. It was a consolidated mess. And uh, we were we were working at the time. Me and three other guys. They had vegetable soup, which um, uh, the army makes in gigantic thirty-two gallon cans. The great big things about the size of a big garbage can. And they were boiling this vegetable soup away. And this guy, whose name was Herb, I remember his name was very very vividly. I remember Herb was stirring the vegetable soup with a great big paddle. It's paddling away there, see. And uh, he's looking around, and uh, the mess sergeant kept coming in and on, going out. They kept hollering at us to get it, get going because they'd been in another ten minutes to eat, and, and uh, got to get that bread sliced and all that stuff. So he's paddling away there, and the uh, mess sergeant runs out to, to see whether that the tables were all cleared away and everything's ready. And this guy says, "Hey, the boys, when do you see the excitement? I really fixed it. I said, what do you mean you fixed it?" He says, well, I really fixed it. What do you see? And uh, he didn't say anything. He was cackling. And uh, we served the soup then. And the officers all came into our second lieutenants and first lieutenants, and, and they were dressed in pinks. Uh, you don't see officers come into the officers' mess wearing fatigues like many of us. Well, yeah, I always ate with a fatigue. You know, fatigues covered with uh, barnacles and crud from hours of work down on the grease pit and stuff. So 
they all filed in, and, and the, the, the talk is so much different in our officer's mess than it is in the yardbird's mess. Like, uh, for example, I, I actually heard an officer discussing an article he had read in a periodical. Yeah, I will admit it was the Reader's Digest. But uh, nevertheless, you'd never hear anything like that in the Yardbird's Mess. Uh, a typical incident in the Yardbird's Mess was one time I was sitting at breakfast, and you know how they turn your bowl over? You sit down, there's ten guys at a, at a table. They're like picnic tables, you know, with the seats on each side. Say, ten guys are sitting there, five on a side. And you sit down, and your, your cereal bowl is turned over upside down, and on top of the cereal bowl is put a box of Wheaties. You know, these are individual servings of Wheaties, or Rice Krispies or something. Say, well, this morning it was Wheaties. And a little box of Wheaties on the top of my bowl. And the bowl is turned upside down. And down at the end of the table, I have this big pitcher that's uh, filled with milk and uh, sugar and stuff. And that, that was supposed to be the beginning of the breakfast. You have the cereal, then you get up with your tray, and you go and you get the powdered eggs and other goodies, which, uh, well, it's all comparative speaking, yes. So I sat down before my my bowl of uh, my bowl, which is turned upside down with the box of Wheaties, and somebody jabbed me at the next table in the in the ribs, and I turned to look like that, just like that. I said, "What do you want?" I turned, and then I turned back, and somebody had stolen my box of Wheaties. Have you ever had your breakfast stolen from you? Any of you ever had your breakfast stolen from you? That's a real feeling. I don't think many people can honestly say, yes, I had my breakfast stolen right out from under me. My knees were stolen. I turned out and said, who the hell took my weed? Dead silence. You ain't got no friends. We had an expression in the army that referred to it. I could tell him I took my tongue. I wish I could remember. It's something your buddy weak. Something that... I know I'll I'll remember it as soon as I get up the air. It's a word, a common word... uh, you see it a lot in the subway. Uh, something, I can't remember. Something your buddy week. I remember that at the show. But we used to celebrate that every day in the company. I mean, there was none of the casual bonhomie that you see in movie versions of the army companies. No way, you know. It was a constant little infighting and kneeing and gouging that went on. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was man at his best. Well, nevertheless, in this particular day, we all went out. Uh, serving the officer's mess, we put on white coats over our fatigues, and we were now serving. Instead of cooking the stuff, we were serving it. So we were serving the soup first, which is, of course, classical. You serve the soup uh, before you serve the cauliflower. So uh, we had the soup in big pitchers, you know, like milk pitchers, and we were pouring soup in bowls. So I'm going out there and pouring the soup in bowls. And uh, about three other GIs were out there pouring soup in bowls, and the officers were saying a very elegant thing. They even had napkins. Napkins. Wowee. You know, they had everything but, uh, you know, napkin rings. And so they might have had that. I didn't see it, but they, they had napkins, which impressed me mightily. Well, I served the soup, and I go back into the back of the kitchen. And now the soup has been served. You hear the guys eating the soup, you know, and they hear the dishes clanking. And, and uh, the mess says, come on, you guys, let's get going. I'm going to get that... Roast beef, Freddie, and don't forget the you guy over there. He says with the with the colic on the trays. I want that. Bring it out hot. I want plenty of butter on it. So the officers mess. So we're, we're putting that stuff together and putting it in trays. We're going to take it out and serve it. When the first second lieutenant got up and ran out, with an inchoate cry, he ran out of the mess hall. 
And uh, I, you know, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I came back in there, and this, this GI Herb is sitting on the bottom of the bread rack laughing his guts up. I said, what is it? He says, I put two boxes of X-Lax in the soup. That's true industrial sabotage. And I might add, remember, this was the entire officer compliment of the post. It was great. We had the afternoon off. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> would you please, Herb? You, you have to hear this story because, because I... Did you ever, when you were... Any, any time in your life, did you ever go on any, any tour of an industrial plant? That is a classic American thing, to be taken on a tour of the International Widget Corporation, East Peoria Branch, where they make uh, pot handles. And uh, you can go, <laughs> you've seen that they often give you a sample of the pot handles, right? And uh, you go on a big tour, and uh, this, this is world-renowned. You know, I just got back from a tour of the Guinness Stout plant, where they make stout. And uh, in keeping with the tradition, they gave us a few samples. Some guys are still there on the tour. They never left. Uh, they won't go now. They're just sitting down there drinking it up. But uh, nevertheless, when I was a kid, we used, to, we used to live in northern Indiana. Remember, northern Indiana, I'm going to explain something to you here that you may perhaps don't know. It may surprise you to know that there is a rich and varied life that goes on in other parts of the country. Now, that, that is somewhat of a cultural surprise to people who have lived their entire life in the East and have read only the New York Post, Pete Hamill, and an occasional uh, novel by Norman Mailer or Philip Roth. There is a rich and varied life that goes on in other parts of the country. Uh, that uh, They never heard of the, uh, you know, the rich and varied life that goes on on Lexington Avenue. You can go for 4,000 miles in Indiana and see nothing, nothing but Sears Roebuck signs. Places saying International Harvester Dealer straight ahead. Uh, once in a while, you'll pass a sign that says "Welcome Rotary Club." Meets every Wednesday, and you're in a town, but you can't see the town. You know, you just went right through. There's nothing there, uh, and and corn. You know, the corn sometimes you can be in a field of corn driving along a road in Indiana, and the corn is so high that it blocks out literally part of the sky. It just zaps like a, like you're going through a a canyon. And it's heated, you see, because the, the corn uh, radiates moisture and everything. Boy, you're driving like, like 500 degrees when you're whipping through a cornfield like that. And you can hear, if you ever stop your car, you, you turn your key off, and you hear just the sound of millions of, of humming insects uh, when you're down in the middle of a cornfield. And you can smell the corn. Gee, really a distinctive, rich smell. Well... So what do you do when you live in a place like Indiana and you want to go on vacation? Where do you go? Well, here, of course, uh, everybody goes to Chadwick Beach, New Jersey, down there, you know, the land of the really creative telephone pole. You get down there in the entire city. <laughs> Have you seen Chadwick Beach? Chadwick Beach is entirely covered with a crisscross mass of telephone poles, you know, like many beach areas, and, uh, and, and beer cans and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, in in uh, in Indiana, about every couple of Sundays would be Sunday, see, and the old man gets the itch. Now you know how the itch hits in this area. When the itch to get out hits in this area, 
the Long Island Expressway is one solid sea of iron, bumper to bumper, stretching to the horizon. Where are they going? Well, no place in particular. They're out for what is known euphemistically as a ride. Out for a ride. Well, where do you go? Well, you just go out. Uh, most places, you know, people have a certain place they go, and then they turn around and come back. And join the river that's flowing back to the sea. You see, one river flows away from the sea, one flows back. Well, the old man to get the yet sea. Usually, roughly about the beginning of summer. Because in the beginning of summer, one is constantly burdened with a false sense of optimism. That's what spring does to you. You, you figure this is going to be the summer. It's going to go all the way. It's going to be fantastic this summer. More than that, uh, you know, the car's not going to be any problems this year because i got the valves ground. Uh, everything is, is, looks good, see. So the old man gets the itch. Usually about Friday afternoon. And uh, Saturday morning... He's out messing around with a car, and he comes in. He says, "Look, he says, let's 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 put a lunch together, right? Get a lunch together, and we're gonna go. We're gonna go out. Let's take a trip to Michigan. Well, now Michigan, from where we lived, which was in northern Indiana, was and is. <laughs> Michigan has not moved since I was a kid. It's still there. Uh, Indiana. Michigan was and is the part we went to. Roughly about 120 miles. Good trip." Nice round trip. Nice overnight. You drive there and you stay in a motel and the next day you come back, right? Well, you would we get out in the car, get all packed in with a lunch and the whole business, and we'd start driving towards Michigan. Now, Michigan was uh, slightly to the east of us and to the north. You'd skirt the lake. You see it on the, on the map there. Well, that's uh, that's. Sandy country, dunes, as you go, uh, as you leave uh, uh, that northern Indiana part, you go, it's dunes all the way on up. The lake curves up through places called Michigan City, Indiana, which is right on the Michigan border. Mishawaka. And then suddenly you're in Michigan. The minute you were in Michigan, you knew you were in Michigan because the roads were different. <laughs> Instantly. Uh, just like... Uh, the roads are different in Jersey than the ones in New York. They're very different. And as soon as we crossed into the Michigan border, over the Michigan border, we're in this town called Niles. Niles, Michigan. You ever heard of it? Well, Niles, Michigan was famous for one thing. You know how towns get famous for things? Niles, Michigan was famous for and still remains famous. That's why I'm reading this. This piece fascinates me. It was famous for the greatest ice cream in the entire Midwest. I don't know why, but Niles, Michigan had the reputation of great ice cream. So it was like automatically like part of a ritual. We would stop at this place where they had ice cream. And there would be a lot of other cars, and there's a drive-in. You go in and get the ice cream. We'd sit in the car and eat ice cream, tripping on our upholstery and stuff. And finally, we would proceed north towards the goal that we had set. We hoped to make it by 4 o'clock because that was the big moment we were driving north. We went through the town of Kalamazoo, which has a river, by the way. Kalamazoo is right on Lake Michigan. And uh, then there were towns, great town names up there, Kalamazoo. How about this town, Watervliet? It's a great name, Watervliet, uh, Michigan. Pawpaw, Michigan, that's the name of the town. There's a lot of Indian names of towns. Mishawaka is an Indian name, by the way. And so 
We're moving north, and finally we come to Battle Creek. Now, do any of you know why Battle Creek is named Battle Creek? Or do you just accept that as a name? It's Battle Creek. The word battle has meaning. Well, there was a great battle that was fought on this creek during the Indian Wars. And it became known as Battle Creek. In fact, several battles were fought there. And uh, it became known as the Battle Creek. That's where they had battles. And there are still some Indians around there. But Battle Creek, Michigan, is a nice southern Michigan town sitting right there near the shores of Lake Michigan. And the sun is beating down. And it's kind of warm and golden all the time there. They have a nice uh, warmth of uh, climate because the lake keeps it warm all the time. Now, what is Battle Creek known for? That's right. Where were we going? This was the whole point of the weekend trip. Well, it's the whole point of it. We would, we would, <laughs> we would fight the car. We'd go charging out. And the, the, the whole point of the trip was right at that moment. The excitement is rising high. And we would go to the gates of the plant of the Post Cereal Company, where they made Post Toasties. And uh, you know various other. What else did they? What else were they? Were they famous things? Well, I will tell you. We stood in front of the gate, and it said visitors. And they gave you buttons, and the, the guard would come out, and uh, he had rice krispie color, uh, covered uniforms and stuff. He'd come out, and gives you buttons and, and stuff. And then, then they would get enough people together for a tour, like say ten or twelve or fifteen families would be gathered, all standing there waiting, and the tour guide would come out an official guide of the post-cereal plant, and it was a girl, it was always a girl, would come out and she would say, and now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the post-cereal plant. Uh, we are going to take you on the historic tour of this historic ground, and as all of you stick together now, be sure to keep your button on, because that button identifies what group you are with. Each group has a different color. And now, follow me as we leave the visitors. Uh, we leave the visitors' area here now, and now we are actually in the what we call here the new plant. The new plant was built uh, late in the 1920s by Mr. Post, shortly after his first big expansion effort, which was concluded just at the time that World War One ended. This is called the new plant by all of us here who've been at the Post place for many, many years. Off to the left now, you will see the roasting ovens. Well, we're going through. <laughs> and of course, we're fast. Wow, you know. Well, you know, you know, this is this is like, like uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's hard to describe it because cereals are so much part of your life. To visit the place where they actually make shredded wheat, if you've been eating shredded wheat all of your life, is uh, well, it's like uh, your first visit to the sea. Uh, it's it's uh, it's always a surprise to see that there's actually a place where they stir Rice Krispies. Now, Rice Krispies, what is the error in what I'm telling you? Listen carefully. I'm throwing that in purposely. That is correct. Rice Krispies is not made by Post. Who makes Rice Krispies? Correctement. Kellogg. And where is Kellogg's? Correct. Well, they were the enemy. You were not allowed to mention Rice Krispies <laughs> or the name Kellogg within the confines of the post. And my mother would say, she don't say anything about Rice Krispies. And I'd say, okay, you don't want to hurt their feelings. And I'd hurt their feelings. So can you imagine a, a six-year-old kid hurting the feelings of the post company? 
I'm talking about rice fish, but you know, you never know. Oh, people's feelings are very sensitive. So we went into this plant and we walked. We walked. Now they had lines drawn on the on the uh, on the concrete to show you where the, the tour should go. I had a little arrows follow tour here. See, one of the high points of the tour came when the tour guide would stop all of us in our tracks and we're standing there all together, and she would gather the people around, and then she would say, "Now I want to show you something." that is a very, very uh, big part of our tour. It's the high point of the post-tour. Now, look carefully over there. You'll see that, you see that building over there next to the great big warehouse, the one that's, uh, that's uh, that little building? That is the building where Mr. Post first created Post Toasties. Many, many years ago, Mr. Post, who was a simple country druggist, decided that, the, that he had to create a food that was truly a helpful, delicious food for people who had problems in getting the proper vitamins and the proper nutrition. And he spent long, hard days and nights discovering his first health cereal. And he put it on the market as a, as a druggist, as a health cereal. What was that cereal? I'm asking you, gangs. Right here, you. What was the cereal as? It was not right. It was not post toasties. That came later. What was the cereal? The first thing that he ever did, and it was it was considered a health food apparently when they first brought it out, and it was not a general cereal. It was a health food. Well, I will tell you that comes later. I will not tell you. <laughs> I'm really I'm really needling you. And then we went through the plant, see. And we finally came, here's the plant where they're making post-toasties. They're making all these other post-cereals. And uh, then we came to a place where she says, and now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to have to stop you right here now because in the next part of our plant, they are making a cereal which is even today one of the, the deep-held secrets of the Post Company. We're not allowed to take you in there, but later on we'll give you a taste of this wonderful cereal, which you've all known ever since you were children. But uh, we can't take you in there because we have secret uh, ingredients and secret uh, uh, techniques to make this cereal. And we saw the boxes of it coming out of that plant. It was coming out on this endless, endless belt. <laughs> you see these boxes bobbing up and down, and there they were, coming out of the secret part of the plant. What was that cereal? What was the cereal? It's still around, and it's still advertised on TV. And they, they made a whole fetish about it was secret, and this was what Mr. Post. And then the, 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 the tour really rose to great heights. We left that part. That was really a great high point. And you could see the people, the ladies all sitting there looking at the boxes of cereals. You know, they're all working on the assembly line and checking the, the labels and washing the machines, the packet, and all that is very clean. You could smell the smell of cereals was overpowering in this in this plant. I mean, the real, you know, the smell of uh, of wheat roasting and all this rich, fantastic, overpowering smell. Well, then we moved on and we moved into the cultural section of the tour. We saw all the work of art that Mr. Post, uh, after he became a very wealthy man in the 1800s, he traveled to Europe, and she said this with great wonder. Mr. Post traveled to Europe. And uh, he began his great art collection, which we are privileged now to take you through. Uh, you'll notice that this painting here to our left, 
has cows, which are so realistic. These, these cows are so realistic that as you walk, the eyes of the cows follow you from place to place. Uh, Mr. Post uh, purchased this uh, magnificent painting uh, in uh, Milan, which is in Italy. It's a great Italian artwork. <laughs> and, and he had that worst collection. I'll tell you, it's the kind of stuff that today, it's, it's worth billions merely because he was the first guy to collect camp, but he thought it was real art. Like, for example, he had an entire tree, which everybody stood around, a brass tree, which was made by a world-famous sculptor, a tree which was a life-size olive tree made out of brass, which he had in his living room, which had glass olives that were so lifelike that had had tiny light bulbs in them. And when the switch was thrown, all the little olives lit up. He also had a grapevine where the grapes lit up. It was this kind of art Mr. Post collected. You can see it was great, great. So we went out in great wonder looking at all this fantastic stuff. And, and uh, he had one picture, too, that I just thought was great. He, he tended to buy buy pictures of cows standing next to bridges. He liked that. Uh, he also liked pictures where guys were riding horses and wearing pink coats and jumping over walls. That was another one. He also had pictures of guys that appeared to have pants on made out of fur, and they were playing flutes. And they had horns. Curly hair, you've seen that type. And uh, I had many, many pictures of that sort. And uh, we were led through this with all, all large crowds of Midwesterners all marveling at this fantastic art that was collected by the man who created the, the cornflake. And he did. He created the cornflake, you know. And now we were taken in. This was what, what we were really looking forward to. So we were taken into this, this uh, room that was like a little dining room. And all of us were served. The lady says, now at the high point of a tour, we will be served with a little snack. And uh, you'll be given a little gift uh, to commemorate your visit here. You'll sign the visitor's book, uh, your, your historic visit to the post plant. Well, at that point, they would come out with ice cream that had as an integral ingredient of the ice cream the cereal which you have not been able to, to think of. The one that he first invented as a health food. And we were eating the cereal... And they gave us milk if you were a kid and coffee if you were a grown-up or tea or whatever it was. And then the, the, the real moment of true glory came when the, when the tour guide says, and now, ladies and gentlemen, she says, if you will file past this counter, we will give you a little gift that will forever remind you of your visit to the post factory. And so we went past the counter, and they handed us each a box, a, a pretty good-sized box. It was about a, a foot by about eight inches, by about eight inches deep, and, and a nice cardboard box, a nicely done box with pictures of a plant on the outside. And when you took the top of the box off, inside was a complete assortment of tiny boxes filled with various types of cereals, including, now wait a minute, including a plastic model of the original building where Mr. Post, on that historic day, changed American eating habits. Did you know that he's credited with that? He really is. That's, we eat more cereal in this country than any other country. You know, most other countries still, uh, the cereals are kind of exotic. But here, you know, we think in terms of breakfast cereal. You don't find that in many other countries. And Mr. Post is credited with that. Now, what was the cereal? 
What? You are correct. You are correct. <laughs> Great match. Now, by the way, has it ever occurred to you what connection has this theory got to do with grapes? Very interesting. And it has a connection, but only allegorically. You've come to the right place now. To do, and you never thought about these things, did you? Well, uh, he invented the grape nut, and, and uh, the grape nut was very secret. We went through the... And you know that the people... Uh, who have gone through a plant like that, who have uh, had a visit to a thing of this kind, they will talk about it all their lives. Do you know that my Aunt, my Aunt Teresa, all of her life, talked about the time she was taken on a guided tour of the Coca-Cola plant of Winnetka, Illinois. And incidentally, that story was only topped by my Aunt Clara's story that she once was taken on a guided tour of the Curtis Candy 